Well, this morning we are continuing in our series through the book of Revelation called Return of the King, a journey through Revelation. And uh, if, you're, if you're new to the Orchard Church, we typically study the Bible verse by verse. We take a book and, and go through there verse by verse, piece by piece. And we are in the book of Revelation right now. And today we are in the middle of chapter 13. So if you want to go ahead and find chapter 13, that would be great. That's on page 497. If you're using one of the Bibles uh, that we give out there at the back, and we are in right in the middle of chapter 13. This juncture in Revelation, actually 12 and 13, is an interesting spot here in the book of Revelation because it's in chapter 12 and 13 where we started to be introduced to this unholy trinity. And if you remember back a couple of weeks ago, in chapter 12, we were introduced to the leader and the head of this unholy trinity, and that is Satan. And last week, in the first part of chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, we saw the emergence of the Antichrist. He's just a person. He's a man. But as we read last week, he's possessed by Satan. And he comes onto the scene now we come to Revelation chapter 13, verse 11, and we get introduced to the third member of the unholy trinity called the false prophet. So the title of this morning's message is Satan's Worship Leader. Now, if you Google, you get on the computer and you Google Satan's Worship Leader, uh, here's what you get. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know I've been the brunt of many of those picture jokes on a Sunday morning, so uh, that's what Jake gets for being on a cruise in the Caribbean this morning, right? Right? So, uh, no, uh, he's far from Satan's worship leader. We're blessed to have him as a church, but I uh, just thought I would throw that up there to get you to uh, laugh a little this morning. But seriously, uh, Satan if you'll remember, was a, a powerful angel uh, called Lucifer in heaven, created as, a, created as a holy angel and probably an archangel, leader of angelic worship, uh, uh, the worship and praise to God in heaven. There's more about this you can read in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28. And um, if you remember back to uh, Satan, he had this pride in his heart. He said, I want to be the most high. I want to take the throne in heaven. And he had this pride. And so he was cast out of heaven. It was no longer his dwelling place. And as you remember from the previous weeks, he took a third of the angels, the holy angels in heaven with him. And since then, there have been repeated attempts of Satan throughout all of history to get anything to worship him and to get people, us, to worship anything but God. And guess what? He's still doing it today. That's still his plan today. Well, Satan will have his own worship leader during the tribulation period. And if you'll remember, as we come to chapter 13 in the book of Revelation, we are now at the midway point, three and a half years in, in the seven-year tribulation. And during this tribulation period... This worship leader for Satan will come on the scene, okay? As I mentioned already, we'll call him the false prophet. 
And he's going to go around getting people to believe in the Antichrist and worship the Antichrist. And we're introduced to this worship leader in verses 11 and 12. So John here who is writing in Revelation describes three steps that will take place and uh, with this false prophet, this new person working for Satan that comes on the scene. And three steps with this false prophet and his influence of people leading them to worship Satan. And the first step is this, and this is number one in your notes this morning, simply satanic worship. Satanic worship. Look with me at verses 11 and 12 of Revelation chapter 13. We'll begin reading there. It says this, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And we'll stop right there. So another beast. The beginning of chapter 13 started out last week. We talked about the Antichrist or the beast. And it talked about him coming on the scene. This says in chapter 13, verse 11, another beast, literally another of the same kind. So like the Antichrist, this second beast, he's also here to promote the agenda of the enemy, Satan, and the Antichrist by a position of global leadership. And uh, here's what's interesting about it. He's going to be second in command. You've got the Antichrist and then the false prophet. He'll be second in command, but they'll have the same agenda. They're working in tandem. They're working to fulfill the agenda of Satan, the devil, you know, our enemy, the liar. But they have two different roles. The Antichrist and then the false prophet who we're reading about today. The first beast, the Antichrist, last week called, you know, we were said, hey, he's the Antichrist, but he has a position of uh, political leader. He is a political leader. We read about that some last week, and we're going to continue to read about that. The second beast is a religious leader. Okay, the, the false prophet is going to be a religious leader working under the authority of, of the Antichrist. So you have a political leader that comes on the scene and then a religious leader that comes on the scene. Now he's not as threatening. Verse 11 there mentions that he has two horns and uh, the first beast had ten. And horns is is a symbol of authority. So this false prophet does not have as much authority. The false prophet will be under the Antichrist. Think of him this way. He'll be the Antichrist's right-hand man. You know, do you have a right-hand man? You have somebody maybe you work with or they're, they're your go-to person, your right-hand man, you know, your get-it-done guy. This, that's how it's going to be with the Antichrist and the false prophet. It says in verse 11, and there's a likeness to a lamb. It says that uh, he has two horns like a lamb, and that's a, that's a symbol as well that uh, he's a religious figure. A religious figure. A lamb's associated with religious sacrifices in Scripture. But note at the end of verse 11, look what it says there. It says there that, that, uh, that he spoke like a dragon. He's going to speak like a dragon. Or he has the voice of the dragon. And you'll, if you'll remember from chapter 12, if you were here, the dragon is 
Satan, yep, someone said it there, Satan himself. And so the false prophet, you might just jot this down in your margins or something, the false prophet is going to be Satan's mouthpiece. He's going to speak on Satan's behalf. Well, it is back in the Gospels that Jesus warned of those who had an appearance of sheep, but inside they were ravenous wolves. And he called them false prophets. Okay, so that's where, that's where we get the term for this person, this second beast that comes on the scene during the last half of the tribulation. He is a false prophet. So we have here the final person in the unholy trinity. Now his ministry parallels or impersonates the role of the Holy Spirit. See, Satan, we know, is a great impersonator. And he's always wanted to be worshipped. You know, that was the the issue in heaven and and the pride and why he was thrown out of heaven. He has always wanted to be worshipped, just as our Heavenly Father rightly deserves to be worshipped. And so this false prophet comes on the scene, and he will be like or, or an imitation of the Holy Spirit that we know. You know, the Holy Spirit today points people to Jesus. You know, there's a lot of confusion about, well, what's the Holy Spirit do? And, you know, who is this third person of the Trinity? You know, God the Father, Jesus, His Son, and the, the Holy Spirit. You know, what, what's that all about? The Holy Spirit today points people to Jesus, teaches, convicts us of sin, goes after the heart of a person to get them to place their faith in Jesus. That's not what the Holy Spirit does today. The false prophet, you know, an imitator, will do that on a demonic level. (laughs) It'll be his role to get people to follow the Antichrist and to worship Satan, to worship them instead. So we've got Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and this Antichrist and false prophet, they're pointing people towards Satan and satanic worship. They're kind of this satanic, dynamic duo, you know? That's, they're going to work like that together, partners in this satanic ministry. Now, you know some dynamic duos, don't you? Some famous dynamic duos. Well, of course, we would say Batman and Robin, right? You know? Those two guys are going to be worse than Batman and Robin, all right? Batman and Robin, some dynamic duos. duos. Okay, you know another one from childhood, Bert and Ernie, Yeah. Bert and Ernie, just a you know, dynamic duo right there. Uh, you'll appreciate this if you're a little bit younger. Uh, Chaz Michael Michaels and Jimmy McElroy <laughs> from the ice skating movie. It's not real. <laughs> and then probably your favorite dynamic duo, <laughs> Doug and Barry. <laughs> yeah, there you go. One clap back there. <laughs> That's called a courtesy clap. <laughs> And then, you know, if you've got little kids, you know this dynamic duo, Buzz and Woody, right? There's some dynamic duos there. Uh, but seriously, the Antichrist, who we read about in the beginning of chapter 13, and now this false prophet who wraps up chapter 13, will be this satanic dynamic duo. They'll be working together in partnership, uh, pointing people towards satanic worship. Now, one of the ways the false prophet will be getting people to worship the Antichrist is through this spectacular assassination attempt. And we talked about that a little bit last week. But look in verse 12 there of chapter 13. 
we read it, but it says, He exercises all authority of the first beast in His presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And we read about uh, that assassination attempt earlier on in the chapter. So the Antichrist receives a wound which should have killed him, but miraculously he survives. And this is described there at the, the end of verse number 12. says his deadly wound was healed. So this second beast, the false prophet, right, rightfully called a false prophet, is causing the people on earth to worship the Antichrist who is possessed and is a puppet of Satan. And the false prophet, now think of him this way. He's an expert PR man. You know, he's an expert public relations guy. Just think of him that way. And I believe the false prophet will uh, promote a one-world religion at this point in the end times. Um, let me read you a little, a little article that I've got on, from Newsweek from uh, 2008. Just talking about all of this. And it says, this article says this, The leader of the Italian Democratic Party, Walter Veltroni, today proposed the creation of an organization of religions called the United Religions, based in Rome, and said that the idea was liked by both the Secretary of the UN as well as the Pope. Veltroni explained that his idea is the creation of a palace of religions in Rome, like the United Nations in New York, where representatives of all faiths of the world can meet and talk among themselves. So just uh, something from uh, modern day news there uh, about this. We're working towards that. We're seeing steps being taken towards a one world religion. And we'll talk about that a little more later about a, a one world everything that is coming on the scene. So the false prophet, his first step is to lead people into satanic worship. Everyone. Worldwide. And, and, and he'll, he'll say, oh look at this antichrist. And his, look, he, he was... He was killed, and then he, he was healed, and here he is again. We should worship him. And he will, he will be pointing people towards the Antichrist, which is actually a man possessed by Satan. His next step is this, and it's number two in your notes this morning, satanic deception. Satanic deception. And this is found in the next few verses, verses 13 through 15. We read about it here. Look at verse number 13 with me of this satanic deception. It says, He performs great signs so that He even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Still talking about the, the uh, false prophet here. And He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which He was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Remember, there's that, that wounding again. He was, he was hurt. Verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Woo, we'll stop right there. So that's a lot. The event I, that I believe which will propel the Antichrist into a position of world leadership from a political standpoint is probably, and we've talked about this in weeks past, the negotiation of a peace plan for the Middle East. Not just Israel, but... but all of the Middle East. And the event that I believe which will propel the false prophet into world leadership from a religious point of view 
is, I believe, how he handles the aftermath of the assassination attempt that will take place on the life of the Antichrist. The survival of the Antichrist will be so spectacular and so remarkable that many in the world will actually believe that he died and that he came back to life again. Satan's an imitator, right? Imitating the real resurrection of Jesus there. And we're not given a lot of details about this assassination attack, but we are told in in verse 14 there that he was wounded by a sword. His deadly wound was given with a, a sword. And we touched on that a little last week, how that word in the Greek refers to a small weapon like a dagger. And, you know, we can only speculate that if it is a small weapon like a dagger, that it's a person who has access to get close to the Antichrist or perhaps a, an attack from within his political cabinet, someone obviously close enough to do this damage. If you remember, we touched on it last week that in Zechariah chapter 11, it talks about this event and gives some more detail. And it says that the Antichrist's right eye is blinded in this attack and that his arm is withered. So it leaves him without the use of his arm. You know, his right eye is gone. These wounds should cause him to die. The Bible says they were deadly wounds. But miraculously, and I believe the miraculous part will be how quickly he recovers. This is what the false prophet uses to deceive the people to worship the Antichrist. It'll be like, see... Look at this man. Look how amazing he is. He was killed and he's risen from the dead. And the false prophet will be promoting the Antichrist in this. Again, it'll look like a mock resurrection. And it'll dazzle the world. And it will deceive them. And it will lead them into worshiping the Antichrist. And the deception is going to make the false prophet's job uh, real easy. You know, this miraculous rising from the dead, you know, of the, the Antichrist. And the false prophet's just going to point people to that and, and promote him and push the agenda of Satan in all of this. Look at verse number 13. Back up at verse 13, it says that this false prophet can call fire down from heaven. This is a good time to underscore something. The fact that miracles don't always come from God. We need to remember that. And when there is a miracle, the challenge they present is, first of all, is it really a miracle? And uh, if yes, was it from God? You know, in the New Testament, Paul and Jesus both warned us about lying signs and wonders, false miracles that can take place. Um, you know, back in uh, the book of Exodus in chapter 7, Moses went before Pharaoh and God allowed Moses to have some miracles from God take place right in front of Pharaoh so that Pharaoh would know, man, this is a servant of God. This is something powerful that is happening here. And when Moses did those uh, miracles in front of Pharaoh, it was in uh, Exodus 7 that we read that uh, Pharaoh's magicians were able to mimic those miracles. They weren't really miracles. And if, if they were anything miraculous, it wasn't from God. It was from the enemy. So it's important to not base our faith on experiences alone. 
You know, I have talked to missionaries who have been on mission fields around the world who have told me about things they have seen take place or happen that are not from God. And so it's important to remember that, that, okay, that experience happened, but we don't just base our faith on that experience. We test it by the Word of God. We test it by the Scriptures. And if they're not jiving together, you know, it's not a miracle from God. So it's important to remember that. A good, good place to mention that. So do you see the, the, the mocking of uh, even the Holy Spirit here in verse 13? Uh, we've got this false prophet calling fire down from heaven. You really see a mocking of the whole Trinity and everything that Satan does here. The Antichrist survives this deadly wound wound, you know, is, is raised again. It comes back to life, supposedly. I, I don't believe personally that he actually dies, but I believe that the people will believe that, mocking the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The false prophet now calling fire down from heaven, mocking the, uh, the Holy Spirit and the fire that came down onto the apostles at the day of Pentecost. Also, we just read a few weeks ago back in Revelation chapter 11 about two witnesses, two witnesses of God that were able to call fire down from heaven. And now you've got the false prophet able to call fire down from heaven. It's almost like he's able to go a few weeks after these two witnesses. See, I can do that too. I can do that stuff too. I can call fire down from heaven too. And you better be listening to the Antichrist. You know, he's promoting him. We see this mockery of the Trinity. And they do all of these things to deceive and trick people. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 there, we see that the, uh, the false prophets granted power to give breath to an image of the beast or the Antichrist. So we see unsaved worshipers build an image of the Antichrist. And not are they only to worship it, but the false prophet will be able to give it some demonic voice so that this image actually speaks to the masses, the people, and they will think that this thing is alive. All that's in verse 15. And it will tell the people that they will be put to death if they do not worship that image. Man, that's a scary thing. I'll tell you what. That same demonic voice is in my car. You know? I have this Uconnect cell phone hands-free system in my car. You know, any of you have something like that? You just It works with any phone. You turn on your phone to Bluetooth and it connects with your car and then you've got this button and you're, you, know, you don't have to be on the phone in your car and you can hit this button. I have it turned off because of the demonic voice. And, uh, and, and so I'm in there and I'm like, you know, when I had it set up, I pushed the button and it'd say, yeah, okay, what do you want to do? And I'm like, call Doug. Call Bob. And I'm like, no. Call Doug, returning the main menu, and, you know, and, and it would not do anything I asked it to do. And so it gets so frustrating, you'd rather just pull over and pull your phone out of your pocket and dial it and talk to the person on the phone because uh, this, this whole Uconnect system was not really working well. And so um, I would do that, and you know, sometimes you'd, you'd say, call so-and-so, and and it'd start dialing somebody else's number. And, uh, you you know, I admit I would talk to it. I would talk back. And I would yell, you moron! And things like that. And uh, it was really, really frustrating, so I just turned it off. So I believe that at the end times, that voice will be in the image of the beast. Okay? Not really. 
not really. I, when I read about this demonic voice this week, I thought immediately, my car. And uh, some of you feel my pain. You've tried that, those things as well. Well, this image, is it a statue? Is it a picture? Um, the word leans to the definition more of it being a statue-like creation that is built uh, of the beast or the Antichrist. And then there's a requirement for the world to worship it. When I read that this week, it reminded me of a story in the Old Testament about a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And if you have kids in Kidmo, that's first through fifth grade, they actually learned about Nebuchadnezzar last week as they are studying on the the virtue of courage this month. And so I I thought about that. King Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament builds a 90-foot gold statue and has this set up. And when the royal music was played, everyone was required to bow down and worship the image. And there were three Jewish young men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or if you've watched the Veggie Tales, you know them as Rack, Shack, and Benny. Got a picture of them here. All the little kids would be familiar with that, and all the parents who have watched that a thousand and five times, Rat Shack and Benny, and they would not bow down and worship this image. And so Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, you three rebellious punk teenagers, I'm going to take you and throw you into the fiery furnace in the palace, and so let's toke that thing up hotter than it's ever been. And they were thrown into that fire, and those that threw them into the fire died because it was that hot getting that close to the furnace. And uh, threw the boys in there. Think of a big, gigantic fireplace. And uh, we have in this story, God protects Rack, Shack, and Benny. And the king sees a fourth person (laughs) walking in the fire with them, protecting them. And that is the Lord. And um, God spared their lives. And that story is very similar to the coming attraction here with what's going to take place in the middle of the tribulation times. The worship of this Antichrist image, worship it or suffer execution. That's what's going to happen. So similar to what's what's going on, uh, what we read about or what your kids learned about with King Nebuchadnezzar last week. And as we've read in previous Sundays, many Jews will come to faith during the tribulation period and they are not going to bow down before this image. Now, if worshiping this image wasn't bad enough, it will be set up in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, Daniel... Jesus and Paul, and we've got some Scripture references here for you, all spoke about this in Scripture, calling it the abomination of desolation. And that's just a fill-in for your notes there. The abomination of desolation. The image of the Antichrist being set up in the temple. And listen, we'll cover this, I'm sure, in the future as well. This is a huge turning event in people understanding and seeing the Antichrist for who he really is. So this is a vivid picture, again, of Satan's desire from the beginning. I want to be worshipped. He's wanted to be worshipped all along. And since Satan could no longer command worship in heaven, since he's been cast out of heaven, since he cannot even approach heaven anymore, like we talked about as we covered chapter 12, he will go to the next best place 
the Jewish temple and the holy city. We saw a couple of weeks ago in our study that the temple will be rebuilt. And now we find him putting his image in the temple in the last days. A temple that is really a place of worship for God. Now, many who die, I believe, in the last half of the tribulation will be uh, those who refuse to bow down to this image. And who are caught by the government of the Antichrist and, uh, and executed for it. So, the false prophet, he is causing the earth to engage in satanic worship by worshiping the Antichrist. Then he pulls off this satanic deception and gets the people of earth worshiping this image of the Antichrist. And his third and final step is needing to monitor are people worshiping or not. And that brings us to our number three this morning, satanic identification. Satanic identification. Verse uh, 16 through 18. Let's go there now and read verses 16 through 18. It says this in verse 16. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. We'll stop right there at the end of the chapter. More and more these days, you will hear a term, globalization. Globalization, about global economics and global technology and global government and so forth. Globalization has been described as the process by which the people of the world are unified into a single society and function together. Globalization. You will hear that. You'll hear it on the news. You'll you hear that if you keep you know your ear open to what's going on in, in the news and, and whatnot. Now, a, this is because a country's uh, economy can crash affecting money and finances and uh, financial markets, even trade markets of other nations around the world. It, it can affect those markets. So if there was a system of global economics and global finances, it would help stabilize finances if a single country had a problem rather than it working at odds with the rest of the world's economy. There are other threats besides finances, rogue nations. There are um, countries wanting to acquire nukes that are vocal about wiping out other countries with those nukes. So there, there's a lot of different situations why that might make sense. But there are a lot of people calling for global and integrated solutions. And that the why I bring all of that up, well, you're going, what's the point in all of that? I believe that the world is becoming conditioned to or ripe for the idea of a one-world government and a one-world finances in that. And in that, a one-world religion. This isn't in your notes. It's not even in mine. I'll just throw it in there. Our faith, it's connected to our Constitution as Americans. And if, you're, if one gets wiped out and we go to an all-world, one-world religion... The other is going to be wiped out. And, and you see little steps being made towards 
uh, towards all of this coming to place, uh, into place. This is a direction. This is a mindset that we are hearing from leaders today and from experts today. This moving towards globalization. Now, apart from the demonic aspect of that and how, how we see the Antichrist becoming a political leader and the false prophet becoming a religious leader and all of these things taking place, apart from that scenario and if Satan were not a part of that equation, in some ways that does make some good sense, doesn't it? You know, there are some pluses to, to one world finances and all of these things, but... It is setting the world up for what is going to take place during the tribulation. And the world will embrace this idea of globalization. Now, in addition to the threat of execution from the government for not worshiping the Antichrist image, for, for not bowing down, the Antichrist also forces its citizens, the citizens of the world, to maintain an allegiance to him by having everyone receive a government Mark, we just read about that in verses 16, 17, and 18. This is commonly referred to as the mark of the beast. Yeah, we know that, don't we? There's going to be no exemptions. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 tells us that all, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, you know, you're not going to be able to, you know, file an exemption for this. Everyone is going to have to receive this mark. Why? Verse 17 tells us. To buy and to sell. My opinion is that by this point in the tribulation, people will gladly receive this mark. I don't believe they'll see it as government coercion. I don't believe they'll see it as, well, this party over here is saying we should do this and you know, we're not going to do that because they're that party and I'm this party and we're going to be against it. I believe everyone's going to sign up for it and go, Give it to me now. And the reason I believe that is because the context of everything we've read in Revelation so far. The rapture will have already taken place. People are missing. Identities are gone. Stolen identities are an issue today, right? Boy, you think they're an issue today. <laughs> Wait till after the rapture. Give it ten minutes. You know, a third of the world has died because of the judgments that have been poured out already. Famine is rampant around the earth. And I think people will go, man, this is a sensible system and solution. and We have got to do this now. And they will gladly sign up for it. You know, we have the ability to put vast amounts of information on small microchips, don't we? And, uh, and to put lots of information on small uh, little barcodes and tattoos. And um, this is what the Antichrist is going to do. And put it on the hand or the forehead. We read here in verse number 16, it'll be on the hand or the forehead. Well, why the hand and forehead? Well, maybe it's because, you know, if your hand is hurt, they can use your forehead. You know, I, I've read someone who tends to think that they'll do the hand and then there'll be a lot of hand thefts, cutting off of hands and stealing people's hands and that doing that kind of thing and they'll roll out a 2.0 version and they'll say we just need to put this on people's heads and i mean yeah i know that sounds almost like laughable but if you think about it uh it makes a great deal of sense but it'll be on the hand and forehead and those will be accept accepted it's what the antichrist and false prophet are going to do here is it going to be a chip is it going to be a tattoo of sorts i don't know um the word mark in verse 16 means to etch or brand. 
So I kind of lean more towards the tattoo thing uh, rather than the chip just because of what the Bible says there and what that word means. But uh, you probably know this. You can have your pets chipped right now. You know that? And my dogs each have a chip between their shoulder blades in case they get lost. You know, they have received the mark of the beast already. So <laughs> not really. Uh, but, you know, they, they have this little deal in them that, you know, was painless, I'm sure, and cost very little money to have done. And if they ever get lost, you can scan them with a universal device and our name, address, and cell phone numbers come up and where to contact us. And, you know, it's, it's great. Um, you have probably read about Alzheimer patients that uh, have been chipped for, you know, ones that have wandered off and things like that. The technology is there, and it's been there. Some of you are sitting there going, yeah, my dogs have been chipped for like 15 years or something like that. It's, it's there. You know that uh, you can take your cell phone now, some of you, and you can bring up your boarding pass for a flight on there. Any of you done that yet? And you go to the gate, and instead of handing them a piece of paper with a barcode on it, you hand them your cell phone, and you scan your boarding pass, and you walk onto the airplane there. The technology is there already, and it's, folks, it's advancing all the time, isn't it? And the technology advancing, I love that Best Buy commercial where someone is like gets their new phone out of the box and they look up and there's a billboard and it says, newer than your phone. <laughs> you seen that one? And she's like, oh, rats. And there's a family carrying a big screen TV into their house, a, a 3D one. And the little girl walks out and their neighbors are getting a delivery truck. And, and it's on the side of the truck it says, 4D TV. And they're like, rats. You know, technology is always advancing. It's advancing, you know, faster than, uh, than, you know, by the time we purchase something. There's something new out there. And that technology is there. Well, notice in verse 17 that the mark will consist of the Antichrist's name, it says, or the number of his name. And the number is recorded in verse 18. And it's the most infamous number in the world today, 666. You know, let's be honest. If you see 666, it freaks you out, right? You know, you drive by a gas station and their digital sign is broke and it says 666. You're like, I'm not buying the devil's gas. You know, just admit it. We do it. If somebody gives you their number and they're like, yeah, my new cell phone number is 303-666. And you're like, man, am I calling the devil or what here? You know, or you go to you go to like Starbucks and you get a scone and a uh, non-fat skinny frappuccino and you're like, they ring you up and it's six sixty-six. You're like, I'll take that ten of mints right there. Just add that to it. Let's just break out this whole ten-dollar bill while we're at it, because I ain't paying for six six six. You know, I'm not having six 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 show up on the cash register. You know, we kind of freak out about it. It's kind of like you know the number thirteen or something like that. But uh, really, rather than you know, freaking out about it and changing our order so it don't say 666. We really should be just mature about it um, because we've become quite superstitious about it. We don't have to fear it. It's not going to eat us alive, you know. It's not going to come about until at least halfway through the tribulation. And the church is where? In heaven. That's right. And so it really doesn't mean a lot for us today. Well then, Barry, why does it say what it says in verse 18? Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. 
His number is 666. Why does it say that in verse 18 then? Who is that talking to? Well, it is talking, verse 18 is talking to people who will come to Christ during the tribulation period and they will have Bibles and they will find a bunch of Bibles in a bin back here in the band room and they, people will have Bibles and they are the ones who will be able to calculate the number and see this being rolled out. Because we don't see it. Now that's not for a lack of effort on our part over the last 100 years. You know, as Pastor Doug mentioned last week, we've taken almost every president's name and we've tried to make 666 out of it, right? You know, he mentioned last week uh, Ronald Wilson Reagan and, and trying to make, you know, when he became president, people tried to say, well, it's the Antichrist because he has six letters in each of them. No, no. And uh, and so, you know, we've tried to do that. We've tried to figure out, you know, the leader of Spain and tried to make his number match up to 666. And all of these things, we don't know how 666 becomes the number of that man. But the believers of the tribulation period will know how that computes. Okay? For us today, six is the number of man, biblically, you know, man is created on the sixth day. Seven in scriptures, the number of perfection. It represents God. Seven, seven, seven emphasizes the uh, perfectness of God. Six, six, six emphasizes the uh, imperfection and utter failure of mankind. Six falls short of seven. Man falls short of God's holy standard. He has missed the mark. Six, six, six could represent the unholy Trinity, which has just been revealed here in chapters 12 and 13. Okay? It could. This I'm confident of. Believers in the end times, people who have been saved after the rapture and are going through this terrible time on earth, will see how 666 ties into Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet in the end times. And they will not receive the mark. They will see it being rolled out. They will know and they will not receive the mark and they will not bow down and they will not worship this image, this blasphemy that has been set up in the holy temple in Jerusalem. And God, I believe, will give them strength to stand in their faith. Listen, God will never bless a world government or any kind or form of globalization unless... It is the kingdom of Jesus Christ who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. That is the one He will bless. That is the one He will allow. That is the one He will permit to uh, be set up on this earth. Again, Satan the imitator. So we've read now about this mark, this government mark. You know, it's back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 that talks about that how as believers we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. When you trust Christ as your Savior, that seal is a promise from God of our salvation and a guarantee of our safe arrival into heaven. Back in uh, chapter 7 of Revelation, you'll remember that God raised up 144,000 Jewish witnesses and sealed them on their foreheads. Now, look with me at one last verse. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. We'll get to this next week, but I'll give you a little preview today. Chapter 14 of Revelation, verse 1 says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's 
name written on their foreheads. That's that 144,000 witnesses sealed. The point is this. God's people, when you place your faith in Christ, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. God's people have His seal on them. The people of the devil and the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to have their seal as well. By the way, a seal speaks of ownership. As a believer, your life is not your own. Scripture tells us you are bought with a price. When you place your faith in Jesus, your life belongs to Him. In the same way, those who receive the mark of the beast become His property in, in the possession of Satan. The false prophet will come on the scene and, and he will promote satanic worship. He'll pull off the satanic deception and the earth will worship the image followed by a mandatory satanic identification. And you know what? Rather than trying to unravel the mystery of 666 and who it might be and uh, where the number comes from, the better question today is this. Have you been sealed by God for salvation? That's the appropriate question. Today, God wants you to be identified with Him. Not with anything else. The Gospel of John chapter 4, it says, But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And the Father is seeking such to worship Him. So if you're here this morning and, and you would say, you know what? There's never been a time in my life where I have placed my faith in Jesus. Where I've abandoned my own plan and my own idea of, well, I'm going to stand before God and say, hey, did my good outweigh my bad? But, you know, there was that one thing I did in my 30s and, you know, how's that all going to pan out? I'm going to abandon all of that like trash and I'm going to go with Christ and Christ alone and place my faith in Him and Him alone for my salvation. If you've never done that today, that is the most important decision you can make in your life right now. That is the next step for you. That is an identification God wants for you. And if you've never made that decision today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that uh, before we close. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer?